Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. This week, we are going to be diving into a process that we have honed and sharpened and put on the grindstone and made so super beautiful and shiny, our comprehensive review process at Penn State. We're going to talk about what it is, its structure, what our intent in designing it was, and the impact that it should have to you as a student, and the value that it's provided. We'll look at some data figures on students who use our um, our process and what their success rates look like versus students who don't. So there's going to be a lot of really good information. Even if you're not a Penn State student, you can learn a lot from how we're approaching working with our students to take some lessons in for yourself um, or to ask some really good questions if you're going to use the Find an Advisor service through the national organizations to get some help. So let's go ahead and jump on in to this episode of the podcast. Welcome back to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. Hello, everyone. This is Kimberly. I'm here with John. Hello again. Good morning. Good morning. Or it's good morning for us. <laughs> yeah. Who knows when you'll listen to this? It could be 4 a.m. Could be. Could be 1 a.m. That's the beauty of a podcast. Yeah. So we're going to talk about our comprehensive review today. Yeah. So I'm going to say this one time for mm-hmm. everyone who's been around for a while, one time only, and then you have to <laughs> promise to erase it from your memory and never use this wording again. Yep. This process, the comprehensive review, mm-hmm. was previously called the comprehensive interview. Yeah. We have renamed it mm-hmm. because we felt like that previous name, which I'm no longer going to use at all, mm-hmm. uh, felt a little bit like a hurdle in and of itself. Like you needed some perfection already there. And yeah. It, it inferred a seriousness that was not intended in the process. Is it serious? Yes. Does it require immediate automatic from the start perfection no it's like working through a series of drafts yeah with your advisor to get to that final end version that mm-hmm. is your actual application yeah it, you know it, we don't need you to be a full-fledged butterfly you can still be a caterpillar and that's okay we don't even need you to be in a cocoon nope we don't need you to be a pupa we just need you ready and willing to progress through this progress, mm-hmm. take our feedback, add your own input mm-hmm. because you are the heart of this process mm-hmm. and see where it takes you. So our intent today is to walk you a little bit through how it's structured, um, what we hope you will get out of this. Mm-hmm. And also talk you through a little bit of our data points on how we've seen this process be successful in the past so that you can really see what um, the value has proven itself to be over the past few years. Yeah, we're really proud of this process, you know, just from like a like a personal standpoint as a person involved in this. I will say that the difference between my first year going through the process that we did back then And what we do now, I really enjoy a lot more. Um, And like, sure, that's like great and whatever um, for me personally. But also it's more it's a more enjoyable process for the students than what we used to do. And the impact that it has on students is also significantly improved as well. I think that we have a model now that allows you to think for yourself and bring more of your personality into your preparation for your application cycle mm-hmm. rather than feeling like you have to fit a certain mold. Yeah. 
I mean, at the heart of what we're looking for when we begin talking to you about um, your mock application, which is sort of the first stage of all of this, is where is your character coming through? Where are your values being presented? Mm -hmm. What actions have you completed that give us real life evidence Mm -hmm. that this is who you are and this is who you want to grow to become? Yeah. In our old process, we almost sort of had to stereotype our students and to say that you are this type of applicant. Or caliber of applicant. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, I love metaphors. Like we used to have you be like a very simple, straightforward, like pocket knife, one blade. Now in this new process, we've made you into Swiss army knives, right? You have all these different attachments. You're a lot more flexible. You can solve different sorts of problems through the admission cycle because we've gone from like pulling a lot of information out of you to now we're helping you see yourself in different ways. We're helping you to develop skills. And honestly, when I'm working with students, I, yes, I want them to get into the schools. Like that's obviously the goal. My like super secret nefarious secondary goal is also like I want to be giving you skills that you'll be able to use when you go to apply to residencies and specialty training because, you know, we we want you to already be ahead of your peers because we work really hard to make students understand that like your parts of your past won't be the sole defining factors and that you can always move forward and like do very cool things. If you struggled in your first year, that doesn't mean that you won't ever be a dermatologist. It doesn't mean you won't be a plastic surgeon. It's about what happens next. And I want you to have the base skills that you need now so that when you get to that next step, it only matters what you do from like in medical school and you can spin that into your own gold. So let's go through and talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the parts of the mock application. Yeah. Um, so, so let's so give a, an let's overview. Zoom, yeah, let's zoom yes. out a little bit. And then we'll zoom in on the mock application. Do you want to give it a quick overview, John? Yeah. So we basically mimic the entire application cycle. And we do that, A, to give you a really good idea of like, what does this look like start to finish so that when you move into the process, you're not doing it blindly. You're doing it from a place of knowledge and understanding uh, from your perspective, but also hopefully from the perspective of an admissions officer so that you understand how things are going to be interpreted every step of the way, how what you provide is going to be utilized. So the main part that you start with at the beginning is the mock application. And thankfully our colleague Mark did a lot of good work of of sort of transforming all of these disparate pieces we had developed over time and synthesizing it into now a single file, which is like so lovely and nice. And um, so basically it replicates that primary application, which when people think about applying to these programs, whether medical school, dental school, PA school, that's, Mostly what they think about is that initial application, and it is very important, and we give you space to work through that. The next bit that we really focus on are your writing samples, and one of the biggest changes that we've seen over the past you know, five years in doing this is the increase in expectations around writing and how you present yourself, tell your story, and the quality of what's written on the page, um, and that is mostly reflected in, you know, obviously your personal statement, but where I like to spend a lot of time is in your secondary essays. And so that's the second piece of the application, right? And then we also have our mock interview, which is that final step of the process. You know, each piece of this, these steps, you're building more nuance and depth around you to these schools. Um, and the interview is sort of like the frosting on the cake. It's the last thing that you do. All the decorations are on. And there's things that fit into the mock interview that won't fit into the what we'll call primary application yeah. section of things. Mm-hmm. There's things on your personal statement that you won't be able to portray elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So there's a unique value to each of these different segments. And mm-hmm. we're trying to help you focus in on how you want to present yourself Mm -hmm. specifically in the format that you have available to you in each of these different sections. Yeah. 
I, you know, I, I try to like custom design the, the metaphors that I use for everybody. Uh, but the mock application, that's sort of like the frame of the vehicle that you're intending to make, right? If you have the frame for a Mack truck, you're not going to be like building a Ferrari in the secondary essay section, right? In counters to that, like if you start with like this itty bitty frame for like a smart car in your mock application, you shouldn't be like trying to throw like a trailer on the back of that <laughs> in your interview. All of what you do should be adding more depth and, and growth on the that that frame that you set up in your in your original initial application. Everything should be organically grown from that point. So you might start working on your materi- materials for the mock application in um late fall or during the winter Mm -hmm. before you actually apply. And it won't be until the following late summer and fall that maybe you get your first interview. Mm -hmm. And we really try to impress on our applicants or students that you can't just stop your development and Mm -hmm. your understanding of your interests and your future career when you start filling out your mock application Mm -hmm. a full year, possibly before you're going in for interviews. Mm -hmm. You really have to continue developing your understanding and Mm -hmm. you want to be able to come to that interview with more nuance, with more depth, Mm -hmm. with more enthusiasm because you've grown so much more over that time. Yeah. So as we move you through like these these major pieces and through this process, as we're guiding you, there's going to be sort of like four common themes that we're going to be sort of touching upon at every little bit and piece. And it really relates to this point that you just made of like you need to be continuing that development. We really look at a candidate's readiness for the application and for the application cycle. Some students are ready to submit an application, but they might not be ready for the rest of the cycle. And there's nothing wrong with that. So we'll touch on timing a lot and your readiness for the current cycle as a whole, not just for component pieces, because a student may be well qualified, but not be ready for the application cycle itself. So we'll always touch on that. John, I know what you mean by that, but for our listeners, could you give an example? Yeah, I so... On paper, a student may look really ready, but they could be going through some really big personal life changes that just do not make, you know, going through an application conducive to their own personal wellness and mental health, right? Some students may just realize that, like, I'm going to have to, like, figure so many things out that I've never had to figure out before. And I need to do that without the stress of medical school, dental school, podiatry, optometry school on top of that. I cannot juggle that many balls at one time. Another example I would use is where everything on paper is looking really great, really Mm -hmm. polished coming together. But the MCAT score doesn't Mm -hmm. follow at the same level that everyone was hoping it would. In which case... Everything that's sitting there beautifully polished on paper doesn't sparkle quite as brightly, we'll say. And so it might make Mm -hmm. sense to take another year, keep all of those wonderfully written materials in reserve Mm -hmm. there and work on improving the MCAT score when you know that you're going to have to rely on a combination of your experience Mm -hmm. as well as those really strong academics. Yeah. You don't want to be missing a big piece. Yeah, it's like you have this beautiful shiny diamond and then like your toddler paints over it with acrylic paint. It's white, but it's not the same as that shiny diamond it was before. Take a little time, clean it, polish it. It is still a diamond. It's still a diamond. And it's still a beautiful diamond. But there's something obscuring its brilliance. Mm-hmm. And, and we want all of your brilliance to shine through. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, when you're committing so much time, so much energy, emotion, um, financial resources into this, you want it to be the best possible application it can be. And as hard as it can be to step back for a year, a year only strengthens your application if you're Mm -hmm. using that time effectively. It makes you just a more wonderful applicant if Mm -hmm. you're continuing to grow and gain experience during that time. 
Yeah, there's a reason why over 70% of the students that matriculate, which are the students who get an acceptance and actually show up day one, have taken at least one gap year, right? It is the norm. It is the most common way to do things. And like, yeah, like, can you compete with somebody that's been a clinical research coordinator for a year that's been working in communities of color to like increase their participation in clinical research trials and understands the barriers that those patients face in accessing equitable care? That's really hard to compete with, right? They have lived experience and they have the same GPAs. They've got the same test scores, but they have this point of view that can is really hard to match. And that and that's what makes it so useful. So we will talk about readiness a lot. And that's not something we get to decide for you. We can tell you where you stack up among, amongst other candidates, but you have to determine your own readiness. I want to throw one quick side note here. Yeah. Um, we do the comprehensive review for typically medical, dental, podiatry, optometry applicants. Mm -hmm. We do not do this for RPA school applicants, but it's because their application, uh, the expectations from their application is are a little bit different. We mm -hmm. do provide full one-on-one -on -one support to our um, physician assistant track students mm -hmm. so that they are well-prepared for that application cycle, which follows a very similar timeline, but not exact timeline. Yeah. And some of the components sort of come together at slightly different times in the application yeah. process. But please do not feel that because we're not saying PA very often during this conversation that the content itself about mm -hmm. readiness, preparedness, um, authenticity, all of that stuff doesn't still play into your application. It absolutely does. Yeah. And also in full transparency, there's just not enough of us. There are not enough of us. We don't have a large enough office. Um, keep your eye open for uh, PA application personal statement reviews. Yes. We do those at the very end of the fall semester mm -hmm. so that you are prepared for your slightly earlier application opening date in April. Yeah. Because if you're going to do comprehensive review, we'll do a personal statement review as part of that process. So it's not dissimilar. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's cooked into another stew. There we so, go. So as it were. So that first sort of like common thread, that common theme is, is your readiness. The next big one that we really touch on quite a bit is your storytelling. Because, you know, what makes an application wanting want to be picked up and like advocated for is when you find a really compelling character in that material, Right. That's what you're trying to accomplish. You are trying to get that compelling character to come through in your primary application and in your secondary essays. And then when you show up to an interview, you want to love that character even more, right? It's like loving the comic book character version of someone and then they do a really good film adaptation. It just makes you love it even more. And that's, that's what we want your storytelling to do for you. We want it to give context to your journey and to your story. Um, it is what takes an application from being good to great to excellent. And part of that is your authenticity. It yeah. has to be real. It can't be manufactured. Mm -hmm. And that can be challenging for a lot of our students who are used to scientific writing. Yep. Now they have to switch gears to something that feels a little more narrative and form. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to realize that the way that these institutions, medical, dental schools, are meeting them for the first time mm -hmm. is through their own written word. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Yeah. You know, we, we train you to observe and report, right, to provide a claim, to write some evidence and give your reasoning on why that's relevant and important. We don't have you turn that in upon yourself. And to talk about your story in these ways. So this is going to feel very unnatural, right? And even if you do write other, like, you know, let's say you are a writer, but it's more creative writing. That is asking you to be imaginative about your writing and create new narratives. We're really asking you to write an autobiography in a narratively constructed way. Yeah, 
it's a challenge, but it's something that we help you build up over time so that it doesn't feel overwhelming. We really, if you come with us on the, the sort of the journey that we've put ahead, we work very hard to make this not feel overwhelming because that benefits nobody. No, uh, we don't, we don't see success when someone is overwhelmed with the process mm-hmm. because you have to be very clear headed about this process in order to manage all of the different moving pieces mm-hmm. and your own emotions around it. Yeah. Cause you could be one of the best candidates in the bunch and you can still have tons of stress and anxiety over the results that you're seeing because the internet is a dark, dangerous, scary place and people like to lie and misrepresent their their success. Oh my gosh. The dark recesses of your own brain. Yeah. Yeah. So we also talk a lot about Mm self-advocacy and I think this ties into authenticity and storytelling Mm -hmm. because I used to say this after like my my first year here at Penn State was that we have really, really wonderful students, mm-hmm. but often extremely modest students mm-hmm. and they haven't yet found their voice. Mm-hmm. They haven't yet figured out a way to speak about themselves, to show the intricacies of their character and the, their experiences mm-hmm. in a way that they're comfortable with, in a way that doesn't feel boastful or like they're bragging about themselves, mm-hmm. in a way that's simply telling the truth mm-hmm. and sort of uh, catering mm-hmm. that story and those experiences towards the purpose at hand, mm-hmm. which is showing your potential to be a wonderful healthcare provider in the future. Yeah, it's for me, this one show shows itself in a lot of reframing of taking something that you've written and said that, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong here, but let me ask you to look at it from this side, this perspective. How does it look differently when I encourage you to look at your own experience from this different lens? Oh, well, it, it really showcases how well or how difficult this one particular aspect was. And I'm like, So like a good example of this is when students put on being an LA or a TA onto their applications, right? That is a very different beast being an LA or a TA in bio 110 at Penn State than being an LA for a bio one at a small liberal arts college. You are talking about orders of size and scale and expectations that are just not the same, right? At other schools, the recitation has you and the professor there, right? The expectations upon you are a lot lower here. You're in charge, sister girl, right? So a, you're dealing with volume. That's not comparable. You're dealing with expectations that are not comparable and you're dealing with the requirements of depth of knowledge and understanding that are not comparable. So if you don't highlight those aspects of that experience, You are underselling yourself. You're underselling your own experience and the value that you can contribute at these schools that work with population levels, right? You know how to scale in ways that your colleagues may not. And telling the truth is not boastful. No, it's just providing the necessary context. But what I hope that we develop through helping students to see this is that they develop the skills to advocate for themselves. And by extension, they learn to advocate for other people. And to really value their own ability. Yeah. Don't don't undervalue what you're capable of and what you have already done. Yeah. If you heard um, someone else walk into a room and start talking about their experiences, but it was actually all of your experiences, you would probably think, oh, wow, they've been up to so much. <laughs> like, I don't know how they got all of that done. Yep. They must be absolutely brilliant. When do they sleep? I often ask my students, when, in, when do you sleep? Because mm-hmm. you are doing way too much in one day or far more in a day than I could ever accomplish. Yeah. Um, you guys are out there doing absolutely fabulous things and you should absolutely be proud of yourself and not be afraid to share those those little bits of information about your skills, your ability, about your the care that you've taken with the work that you've done. You should share that on your mm-hmm. application and in your interview. Yeah. And, and again, that's part of our role is to help you see yourself differently and to help you develop that that nuance and advocacy skill. And we don't just talk to you about this one time. No. Say you come in for your mock interview. 
and that interview just feels a little bit like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Do we say, hey, you know what? It was a nice try. Glad you showed up today. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. No. No. We say, hey, let's recap some of the things that we learned from our conversation today. Mm -hmm. And how about you take some time over the next two weeks to practice to use these resources that we've referred you to. Mm -hmm. And let's continue this conversation next week. Yeah. Or let's have another mock interview in three weeks once you've had some time to follow up on all of this. I really try to emphasize with my students that I work with that this is the beginning of our relationship, not some like end weird endpoint. I also say getting getting into medical school is not the end point or dental school. It's your new starting. It's the new starting point. Yeah. So we don't want to think of working towards an end here. We want to think about opening up a door to everything that comes next. Yeah, It's a long journey, but we're here to help this transition period make a lot more sense and and feel less stressful. Okay. So we've covered sort of the 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 nuts and bolts of what this process is. Why? Why should I put in all of that effort to come participate in this process? So by doing it slowly over time, you are taking the big stress of this experience and you are just spreading it super thin. It's like you're, you've started with linguine and we're having you change it into angel hair. Oh, I love when you get out like the pasta Mm -hmm. roller manual machine thing and you start, Mm -hmm. you take that big chunk of dough and you start rolling and it gets thinner on one pass and you do the next pass and it's a little bit thinner. Yeah. We, we are treating you like pasta dough. I'm going to have to go home and make pasta. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we are trying to make this a less stressful process because it, it's it's inherently stressful by design. It is challenging by design. It is hard by design. And what we try to do with our work in this process is to break it into small enough chunks and pieces where the the stress and expectation is low enough that it's not the worst pain on the planet. But if you take it seriously enough, we can make you so ready that you can be done. I've had students done months in advance. And we see our greatest success in our students mm-hmm. who apply early. Yeah. And when I say apply early, I mean students who apply Within like the first two, maybe three weeks of the application opening, yep. I would say two and a half weeks of the application opening. And then we actually see mm-hmm. acceptance rates of students who apply after that point start to drop. Pretty significantly. And I think a really good way to understand how huge this primary application is is to consider that almost all of these application systems open up a good three to four weeks for or before the actual submission button goes live yep. for you to begin entering your information in. If they are offering you three to four weeks to enter your information in before you can even press submit, there is a lot of stuff that goes in there. Yeah. And you cannot just create that overnight. No. We give you a space in the mock application to start drafting everything out months and months in advance, Mm -hmm. proofread it, have an advisor go over it with you even Mm -hmm. multiple times so that when that application actually opens, Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of transferring the information over. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I've seen creep up a lot in the past two years that I sort of want to provide a counter narrative on is a lot of students are saying, well, I'm preparing for the MCAT. I can't possibly work on these materials. And I, I want to be respectful of the stress and anxiety of preparing for your MCAT, your DAT, those standardized tests, because it does a lot. By continuing to work on these pieces of your application, you are recentering yourself on why this is all important in the first place. By talking about your experiences, you're reminding yourself, this is why I'm doing this. So then when you go back to that MCAT studying, you're motivated because you're like, I, I just wrote this really wonderful work and activities or experiences and achievements entry that got me excited to do this again. Like I'm really excited and motivated to do really well in this test. 
because I just reminded myself why I'm doing this in the first I place. Know my why. Yeah. Recentering yourself back to that is actually a really powerful process. And if you do it slowly over time, you're not sacrificing a large amount of time from your standardized test studying. And also selling yourself so short on your ability to multitask is like, y'all can multitask. And honestly, if we're being honest, no one's going to do brilliantly on their MCAT or the DAT prep if they're not taking some time to center their brain on a different Mm -hmm. kind of work. You're just not capable of doing eight straight hours of this. Mm -hmm. There's maybe one or two exceptions. I have literally seen in many years of doing this, Mm -hmm. one or two exceptions of an individual who just goes three months straight, eight hours a day with a 30 minute lunch break Mm -hmm. and they do it. But that is not the norm. No. You need breathers. You need to refocus on a different kind of work and effort. And if you look at the data around really solid learning, you need to take those breaks. Your brain needs to be able to shift gears. Because also when you think about it, a lot of times when you do content review, you're sort of learning it in like a progression right? You're looking at your building blocks and you're working on the concepts that build off of that. And you're going from lower order to higher order. When you actually take the test, that's not how the test is ordered. It's jumping all over the place. So by like creating these little gaps to like shift your brain to something else and then go back, you're training your brain to be able to shift gears between concepts much quicker. And that's exactly what your brain has to be able to do super well. I talked to so many students that are like, I knew the content of the exam really well. I just feel like I was constantly running out of time. And it was because through a lot of conversations, I think one of the common threads is that they had a hard time shifting gears between different concepts. I think we have a fair number of students, too, who have a hard time approaching this as more of a longitudinal project Mm -hmm. of long-term learning. Mm Mm-hmm. And it becomes sort of this short-term cramming effort. Yeah. And it's really hard under pressure then to recall that information because being in the testing environment, even if you've taken practice tests in a sort of imitation of the testing environment, you still know at the end of that, that is not your actual MCAT or DAT Mm -hmm. score. Yep. And... The other big part of this where like, again, I don't want you to just like do all of one then all of the other. If you're prioritizing a test score over your written materials, the quality of those written materials will never be good because they'll be rushed and slapped together. And so, yeah, you might have a pretty good score, but the rest of your materials are not showcasing your strength. We see over the past, like I pulled like an old, MCAT data report from 2019 and the drop in the number of students with the absolute best MCAT scores and best GPAs that get acceptances dropped by like eight or nine percent. I was just trying to remember the numbers from those charts. Mm -hmm. We know. And the numbers in other areas have gone up. Yes. And we know, we know, we know, we know, we know that scores are not everything. Yeah. GPA is not everything. <laughs> Do scores and GPA open up that door yeah. that allow them to take the time then to look at your application in greater depth? Absolutely. They can't admit someone who isn't going to be able to get through that first year coursework or pass their shelf exams. That is not going to lead to success, nope. but it's also not going to, they're not going to have successful physicians who only can handle the academic side of things and can't come in and have a conversation or understand the nuance of healthcare disparities or challenges of, you know, the different insurance systems or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I don't want you to think of yourself as like just a, like at Penn State, we're so big and, and students worry about seeing themselves as a number. Don't replicate that problem in this process either. Don't see yourself as a number. It's not conducive, A, to your mental health, but also to like your long-term success in this process. So I want to give you a little bit of an idea 
you can probably hear me typing here, of what the timeline looks like yeah. for our internal process. Yep. And then we'll kind of throw in those bigger application mm -hmm. timeline dates along the way so that you know how this overlaps. Yeah. And if you're not a Penn State student, but you still like want to be able to like do some of these things, you can use this rough timeline Absolutely. for yourself. We do not pretend like we have some like unique uh, intellectual property here, <laughs> you know, like use this idea and concept if you want, like we're not going to be upset with you. <laughs> So what we're working towards is um, for medical school applicants, an application system opening mm -hmm. somewhere in early May mm -hmm. and the actual submission button going live mm -hmm. in late May, yep. which means that by the second week of June, mm -hmm. if you don't have that information in, if you haven't pressed submit, mm -hmm. then you really need to think very carefully about what your timeline is. Yep. If it's a matter of two more days and you think that everything is going to be polished and gorgeous, go for it. Take the two days. Take the two days. We want two days. Two days means nothing when we're talking about going from I'm really happy to this to I am proud of this and it is ready to go. Yep. That is fine. If we're talking two or three more weeks. And I might be ready. I might be ready. <laughs> then you need to come in and have a conversation with one of us. Yeah. Then we really want to look at what you're bringing to the table because it might be absolutely fine. But if you had submitted it on in the first week, it would have been spectacular. Yeah. In which case next year is a much better bet. Yeah, it's the difference between like throwing the dice and maybe having one opportunity versus having multiple chances and opportunities and offers and experiences that you can choose from. And I really, really want to remind you that even though we all say, I'll go wherever I can get in, that is not the reality mm -hmm. of life. And there are going to be schools that even though you apply to them, you know that you're just not excited about them. Mm -hmm. That when you think about the next stage of your adult life, really living independently, being there from, let's say, four to eight years, that it's just not going to be the right fit. Then taking another 11 months mm -hmm. is a much better option for you. So... Um, it's a lot healthier mental health-wise. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and financially. And financially. There's so many, like, just such a better way to approach it. Hard? Uh, yes. Does it require you to sort of really transition in your brain what your hopes were for yourself for the mm -hmm. next year? Absolutely. But you can do that. Yeah. You've gotten this far. Let's not sort of self-sabotage. Yeah. And especially if, if we're talking about allopathic medical school, the longer you wait, the longer it takes for you to get verified. So, like, if you're like, oh, well, it's not a big deal. Like, I'll probably submit, like, mid-July. They're probably not seeing your materials until, like, mid-August, late August. Which is wild because some people already have interviews at that point. Or have completed them. Yeah. So I had a student with a, an offer to medical school before August ended this year. Wow. They weren't even an early applicant. So exciting. He, well, I mean, he was also shocked, but. <laughs> He's got a long time to wait now before yeah. matriculation. <laughs> um, so just to show you a slight difference here, a COMIS, which is the application system for DO schools, mm -hmm. uh, submission begins in early May. It opens and sort of begins around the same time. And this was new for this past year. Mm -hmm. So there is no longer this waiting period before the submission button goes live. Yep. So you do want to be very prepared to just walk right into that application system, enter stuff in and press go. Yeah. And with our system, you can do a lot of copying and pasting. So much. It, it takes the process from taking several, perhaps even several days to complete to you can. I've heard of a student that was able to move all of the materials in, even like the course entry and have it done with under two hours. I would say that that's that's even long. Occasionally possible, <laughs> but maybe not. 
I think then the anxiety kicks in and you need to do multiple rounds of review to make uh-huh. sure you didn't miss, miss anything. Yes, they they definitely they they but said I had all the information in, but then I rechecked it and did a few like. It's edits. such a relief to know it's there. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to create it all. Yeah. So AdSAS, which is dental school yes. application, opens early May. Submission begins in late May. Podiatry, you have a little more time. That opens in yeah. early August. Optometry is late June opening. Yep. PA school, which I mentioned earlier, follows a slightly different process. Some of their secondaries um, are ash put straight into the primary. It's actually looking a little more like the ACOMIS, the DO school application, but they have a very early date. So it opens in late April. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit before everybody else. Um, so those are the big sort of overarching timelines that we're mm-hmm. looking at nationally. And now our, our internal timeline, uh, we usually do a health professions portfolio kickoff session, mm-hmm. sort of a workshop in early October. Mm-hmm. And when I say the health professions portfolio, this is where you're doing the mock application, drafting out all of your writing. All of that happens in the portfolio mm-hmm. in our internal system. So that kicks off in early October. Uh, and we also then open up in sort of early fall for your comprehensive review scheduling, mm-hmm. which is a lot earlier than we used to do it. Mm-hmm. But we really want to give you as much time as possible mm-hmm. to treat this as a draft process. Kimberly, do you remember when we started our first year? Oh, Yes. It was mid-April. It was. How did we get everything done? Do not know because there were fewer of us too. Yeah. So here's the thing. Comprehensive review means you have completed your mock application. Mm -hmm. You have completed your writing materials, which would be your personal statement, your work and activities, or um, I forget what it's called in the the dental application, but you've experiences. You've talked about your experiences and you have maybe done a couple of practice pre-writes for some secondary questions. Mm -hmm. Once you have done that in draft form, hear me when I say draft over and over again, I do not expect perfect materials. Mm -hmm. It is early fall still you don't apply until spring Mm -hmm. i want it on the paper because i want something to review with you and i want to understand where you're coming from at this point and start to begin to envision what the end point looks like yeah but please do not wait to schedule with us until april because Mm -hmm. it wasn't perfect yet yeah, I, I need you to be more than a seed in the ground. I need you to have sprouted at least a little bit. I need to get a sense of what plant you're going to become. But we don't need blooms yet. No. So let me, so what I'm trying to tell you is that we went from opening up in April to opening up in the early fall prior to that mm-hmm. because we want you to have the time and the confidence to come in to our office Mm -hmm. with multiple drafts of increasingly strong and more presentable materials. Mm -hmm. We don't want you to hem and haw and be afraid to start the process, Mm -hmm. come to us in April, and then only then realize how much work there's still to be done because you didn't have an advisor in your corner counseling you through all of those previous months of muddling through some drafts. Yeah. It, it gets very stressful very quickly. I hope I communicated that correctly. So yeah. the earlier you come to us, the more we can really refine your materials. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny. We could go through three drafts of what you brought to us in the beginning. And then I'll look at something and I'll have spoken to you a couple of times and gotten to know you really well. Mm-hmm. And I'll have an epiphany. Yep. And I'll think, oh, I do not know why it took me so long to get here. What if you took this approach with your personal statement instead? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you're rewriting your whole personal statement. In April, that is terrifying. Mm -hmm. In January, that feels very reasonable and approachable and almost exciting Mm -hmm. because you know that you've had a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, Writing a personal statement is very difficult. And there are objectively good personal statements that are terrible for you individually. I often will read a personal statement in preparation for a comprehensive review. Mm -hmm. 
And then I'll speak to that person for, say, an hour Mm -hmm. in their comprehensive review. And then I often say to them, okay, I want to talk about your personal statement. We've had a little bit of time to get to know each other. Do you mind if I open it up and reread it now in the context of what you've presented to me today? And then I reread what an hour ago I thought was a great personal statement. And suddenly... I envision a complete different personal statement because I've learned things about you that you hadn't yet figured out how to put on paper. Mm -hmm. And that's for me where the fun comes in. It's because objectively good personal statement is where we started. Mm -hmm. And now we're really getting into the nitty gritty and that personal statement becomes you. Mm -hmm. I love that part. Yeah. It's, it's divorcing yourself from, what other people have told you looks good to moving towards this feels like if someone picked this up and they met 10 people, they'd be like, that is your Mm -hmm. personal statement for sure. That's how identifiable you want this piece to be. Right. And I think that a lot of people sort of fall into that, like high school English, format of I need to have an introduction with the hook to get you in. I'll have three things that support it and then I'll conclude it at the end. And that format can work for a lot of people, but this is a personal statement where you're supposed to like dig into like your primary main motivations. Sometimes that only takes one or two things. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to don't overdo it. Yeah. Anything over three and you're really setting yourself up for some difficulty. You're spreading yourself too thinly. Yeah the personal statement is where you highlight your main passion, the biggest thrusts of who you are and who you're looking to become and how schools can help you along the way. And don't dilute that. The other details and context that can come through in your work and activities or experience and achievements, it can come through in secondaries. That's where you can build yourself into some nuance. This is like, Your broad, the broadest bits that are supposed to be able to relate to everybody and are like most you. So you're listening and you're thinking, John, you just told me that this is incredibly difficult. What am I supposed to do? Well, what I would advise doing Mm -hmm. is sometime in late fall, Mm -hmm. uh, coming to our personal statement uh, writing workshop. Yeah. And actually starting a little bit of a free write on your personal statement with an advisor from our office. Mm-hmm. Or if you can't make that and you want to get or you want to get started a little bit earlier because mm-hmm. you absolutely can, I would suggest tuning in to our episode on writing a personal statement yeah. because we do have our colleague Dave Cassidy come in and mm-hmm. walk you through how you get started on your personal statement. Yeah, it's a guided writing assignment. It's very like vibey and chill. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and he just asked a few questions. So you're just answering specific questions. You don't have to like figure out where to start. And you might do that guided writing exercise a couple times and that's okay. Uh, also last fall, like if you go back to the start of this podcast, the first couple episodes all really center around the personal statement. So you can go back to get some additional context on there. If you're having a hard time getting started. So, The next part of this that we want you to be paying attention to is your letters of recommendation. Yes. We haven't mentioned those a lot, but we do have earlier episodes that go into much more detail about your letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. And we open up our system that houses your letters and sort of keeps them all in one place for you until you're ready for our office to send them off. Um, That opens up for you also in early fall. Mm -hmm. So our comprehensive review scheduling opens in early fall. And the letter packet system opens in early fall. Mm -hmm. So now we get to winter. We get to January. Mm -hmm. This is the first possible date that you can actually have your formal comprehensive review. And when we say formal, it's not that serious. (laughs) There we go. Thank you. Uh, I want you to imagine that, like, your really good friend has said, oh, I'll help you. Let's take an hour and a half to just sit together and go through everything. That's what it is. It's a, we have emphasis. I hope we have really hit the ball home of like, this does not have to be perfect. We should see some effort here, but like 
don't hold off on submitting because things aren't perfect. Because I might completely blow up the direction that you went because it's not the intended direction of that section. Right. And you have sort of this built-in timeline for yourself because when things open up for scheduling in October... If you know that you want to have an early application, you say, okay, scheduling opens up. So for 2023, which is the year we're in now, it opens up on October 3rd. I am going to get all of my stuff complete and I am going to request my date, not a date in October. This is confusing language. Uh I'm going to call into the office in early October and I am going to request one of the very first or actually, we're not calling into the office anymore to do this, but... We're going to be using a booking system. We will use a booking system. I'm going to log in, and I am going to schedule the very earliest comprehensive review that I possibly can in January. Mm-hmm. Now, I have how many months? Most of October, mm-hmm. November, and December to really start drafting out my materials. I look at the group advising session and I see, oh, look, mid-November, we have a personal statement writing exercise thing happening. Let me go to that. Oh, look, I see that there's a recording from last year that talks about letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. It's two in the morning and I'm getting anxious about my letters. I'm going to open up that recording and listen to it and see what I can pick up from that. Yep. You have all of this time to dive into the process so that when January comes around and you walk in to come talk to us, you are ready to just sort of jump on it. Mm-hmm. You also have all of that time to make one-on-one advising appointments with us Yep. so that when you walk in for your comprehensive review, it's not a stranger. Yeah, we really don't want this to feel impersonal right we we are building a long-term relationship we are actively investing in you i get thrilled by every single update that a student shares with me i got so (laughs) a student that i worked with really intensely last year like we worked really hard he had to overcome some challenges in his application um and uh they got into to pit dental and I was like, ooh, ooh la la. And that was their top choice. That's where they wanted to go. Their family is from the area. And they snail mailed me a picture of them in their white coat in front of the University of Pittsburgh sign. And I cried in the hallway because I was so proud of that student. And like, I'm not a super emotional person. I know that's so surprising to our listeners, but I don't really get emotional very often. And, and I, like, shed a couple tears because I was so proud of them. They worked so hard. They embraced the process. They redid materials. They completely rewrote their personal statement twice. But what they ended with, they were so incredibly proud of. And it was one of the things that the admissions officer at Pitt told them had really made a difference for them was how they were able to connect their their journey to why they wanted to go into dentistry and their supplemental essays really helped them to understand why Pitt. That transformation and success that we see in our students Mm -hmm. is what makes the day-to-day work that we do very much worth it. Yeah. And, you know, we want you to do all this work and we wouldn't make you do all this work if it didn't actually translate into value. When we look at the data in like the simplest terms for students that work with our office versus don't work with our office, there's anywhere from, depending on the year, anywhere from like a 20 to 30% greater chance of you getting at least one acceptance with working with us versus not. Now I need to caveat some of that not working with those numbers. Some of those are early assurance people and people with like uh, in the BSMD program. So like that number wouldn't even be as high if those students were cleaned out of the data as well. So the students that do work with us and invest in the process and really double down, it's some pretty good success rates that we find with those students. So I want to recap here. Yeah. We're running out of time. I want you all to go into our booking system 
if you think that this is our this if this is your year, yeah. you're a Penn State student, when that booking system for comprehensive reviews opens in October, I want you to log in there and I want you to find a nice and early date for yeah. your comprehensive review. Mm-hmm. That is setting a deadline for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for an April date. Mm-hmm. where you're not going to have enough time to properly revise and revamp your materials if you need to get a nice early date mm-hmm. come to our fall events that are really focused on developing the different portions of your application like the personal statement requesting letters of a recommendation mm-hmm. all of that so that you feel confident in all of these different things that you have to write and draft out and what your approach should be. And then we want to see you in our office regularly for advising so that when that comprehensive review comes around in late winter and early spring, you're really ready to hit the ground running and finalize your materials so that when the application system opens in, let's say, May, you're ready to just take that draft form copy it in and press submit at the very earliest possible date. Yeah. I would say the difference in just like the, the, uh, the vibe between our students that work with us nice and early and the students that wait is very, very different. Oh yeah. And the, the lack of anxiety, cause there's, you're always going to be a little stressed, but you're not going to be like paralyzingly anxious by doing it earlier it's really night and day and the students who work with us early and meet with us often and really enhance and refine those materials, they feel so much more confident in that, that end, that end process. And when I meet with them, they usually start off their meetings with like a smile and they check in and see how we're doing. And again, that helps us to build that relationship. Whereas the students that sort of come later are like, okay, so I have so many things to talk about. So let's go through X, Y, and Z. And I hope we have enough time. And they're just, you can, you can almost feel like there's a little black hole just sucking up everything inside of them because they're so tense. And I love in late May mm-hmm. and early June when I start getting the enthusiastic and just greatly relieved emails that just say, Kimberly, I submitted. Yeah. <laughs> I love those. Oh, and then also like, hey, can we start taking a look at some potential secondary essays mm-hmm. and topics that I might want to talk about? How can I prepare for that? Because then we have so much time. I love June for preparing for July secondaries. Uh-huh. I mean, I had May a, and June, if you do it right. Yeah, true. I had a I had such a poor student. Oh, I thought we have to wrap up, but I felt so bad for this student. They had like a really long time planned family, extended family vacation mm-hmm. that was going to happen in early the first two weeks of July. Mm-hmm. And they had gotten all of their stuff in nice and early and started pre-writing a little bit for their secondaries, but they didn't want to overdo it because they didn't want it to feel stale. And then those secondaries started flying in on like the first couple days of that family vacation. Mm -hmm. And they spent the remainder of that application fine-tuning their secondary essays to get them in within that ideal two-week window. Mm -hmm. And they basically spent the whole time sitting at the kitchen table um, on this family vacation. And I just really appreciated their dedication, but I also really felt for them because I know that this was sort of a long anticipated event. Yeah, It was sort of like a, a post COVID big deal yeah. thing, but they did it and they were accepted to a program that they really were excited to go to. And it was worth it. Yeah. There will be more vacations. There will be more vacations. But also if, if, if if there's any possibility of working ahead, know the timeline and and, and gently encouraging some different planning. Um, Yeah. So I think that this is a pretty good place to, to wrap this up. I, I feel like we've covered our process why we designed it, how we designed it, who it serves, how to use it in the best possible way for your value. If you need to work with us later in the cycle, that does not mean that you're going to be a bad applicant. We just might want to have a few meetings ahead of time so that we can help you with your materials. 
but you will feel more stressed likely on average and you will probably feel less confidence in that final material. And that's not to say that you won't still have a strong application. It's just we do find our greatest success with those students who are really ready to go earlier on and have done all that pre-work. Yeah. Try not to introduce yourself to us for the first time in May. That's It's stressful for you. It's stressful for us because we're just as invested as you, in your success. And we take on a good bit of your like anxiety sometimes because we, we want – I want every single student that I work with to get in to a place that they want to go. Yes. And that's, that's a lot. So we are going to close this episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Penn state pre-health podcast. Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office in the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during the podcast are those of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system. Our intro music is This Science by Coma Media. And our outro music is Screening, also by Coma Media.